You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. Welcome to our Living for the Batman series. Amidst an ever-expanding world of cinematic superheroes, the character of Batman remains one of the most iconic. The first comic book version of the Batman Bruce Wayne persona was first created for the page by Bill Finger and Bob Kane in 1940. And since the late 1960s, this character has been represented at the movies in various live-action and animated incarnations by at least seven different actors. Once a month over the next four months, I will be revisiting one movie featuring a different actor playing the Cape Crusader leading up to the U.S. release of The Batman on March 4th, this time starring Robert Pattinson in the title role. The Batman, which came out in 2022 and was directed by Matt Reeves. Fear. It's a tool when that light hits the sky. The hell are you supposed to be? It's not just a call. I'm vengeance. Thank God. The Batman, rated PG-13. It stars Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Jeffrey Wright, Paul Dano, Andy Serkis, Colin Farrell, Peter Sarsgaard, and John Turturro. The genre would be superhero detective story. The Batman. What you have heard about the Batman is true. It is very much like The Dark Knight. It features an interesting story, a compelling villain, strong performances, no shortage of gorgeous cinematography, some truly impressive action sequences, and like The Dark Knight, it's probably 20 minutes too long. Writer-director Matt Reeves steers this train so well for at least the first two-plus hours, he really achieves a genuinely unique balance for superhero crime drama. It's one part Seven, one part Chinatown, and one part The Crow. The main issue is that The Batman also contains about as much story as at least two of those films combined for its almost three-hour runtime. And it doesn't so much fly off the rails in the third act as it just sputters a bit, stops and starts. This film seems to have an ambitious narrative involving its main protagonist, the aforementioned Batman, played very well by Robert Pattinson, not only tracking a serial killer, and that would be the Riddler, who is murdering one by one several of Gotham City's most powerful people, but he's also navigating through the city's vast criminal and political underworld. Several characters and subplots are introduced along the way, and while most of them wrap up in relatively satisfying ways, because of the runtime, they just don't all have the oomph that they're supposed to. So overall, it's a delicious movie where you can just end up feeling a bit overstuffed at the end, but it's still quite the meal. Yes, this is a genuine detective story as has been hyped. I particularly love how Reeves and crew never really veer away from the mystery elements of this story, even with all the action beats that this film has. And this film actually has more action than I expected. Not only that, but thanks to Reeves and director of photography Greg Frazier, the action looks crisp and fluid. You just have several punchy sequences featuring Pattons's masked vigilante just kicking ass, plowing forward on his cycle or souped-up Batmobile, or just cannily using his utility belt to maneuver through some treacherous locations. Everything is lit gorgeously, so you can always see what's going on, except during several key moments when we are reminded that at the end of the day, 
this still is a Batman movie, and it needs to preserve that PG-13 rating. Pattinson pulls off all the physical stuff very effectively, and he's not always on the winning end of every fight either. But you feel every punch or fall, but it's more done through sound design than actually showing blood. The hell are you supposed to be? I'm vengeance. This version of Gotham City just feels massive and lived in. But damn, it also has some beautiful sunsets. Especially when we get to see the bat and the cat meeting up on some rooftop or some patio during the magic hour. Speaking of which, these two actors, Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz, have fantastic chemistry. Pattinson brings a lot of emotion to his character without often saying much. It's a pretty impressive performance considering he actually spends the vast majority of his screen time in the bat suit. As for Zoe Kravitz playing Selena Kyle, or the cat, or the Catwoman, well, she is clearly having a pretty strong 2022 so far, as she's a co-lead here, pretty much, and her winning lead performance in the recent thriller, Kimmy. Check out that review, by the way. She's playing a cat burglar. Get it? (laughs) And also a mob mole, who's a bit emotionally scarred herself, like Bruce Wayne, but also mentally tough enough to navigate through several tricky situations involving the local mob boss who she works for, Carmine Falcone, played by the always reliable John Turturro. Some event, huh? Brought out the one guy in the city more reclusive than me. Thought you'd never leave the shoreline. Aren't you afraid someone will take a shot at you? Why? Because your father ain't around. Oz, you know Bruce Wayne? Wow, is that right? His father saved my life. I got shot in the chest. Right here. I couldn't go to no hospital, so we showed up on his doorstep. Operated right on the dining room table. Kid here, he, he saw the whole thing. Up on the stairs, looking down. I remember your face. You don't think that meant something he did then? It means you took the Hippocratic Oath. Hippocratic Oath. That's good. And can I say just how gratifying it is to finally see Turturro strutting his stuff in a big Hollywood temple movie that's not directed by Michael Bay, where we actually get to see him play an actual character. He brings the perfect amount of gangster swagger to this leader of Gotham's mob underworld. And Colin Farrell also nails it as his second in command, completely unrecognizable under loads of prosthetics as Oswald, otherwise known as the Penguin. Farrell has always had a comically sinister side to him, which comes through despite really not looking like himself in this role. You really can't tell it's him. Paul Dano is also sufficiently creepy as the Riddler mostly covered in an oversized latex hazmat suit with goggles. His shifting voice and just everything else about him is just unsettling. He's definitely right out of a David Fincher thriller and fits well into this world as the premier villain. I told you I'd see you in hell. What do you want from me? Want. If only you knew how long I've been waiting for this day, for this moment. I've been invisible my whole life. I guess I won't be anymore, will I? They'll remember me now. They'll remember both of us. The rest of the cast is sterling as well, with a standout Jim Gordon, though not enough Alfred, but we'll get to that a bit later. 
In many ways, the Batman feels like a true throwback epic with a large budget being utilized for a very tangible setting and story, all crafted meticulously well. And in some ways, it's also very much a 21st century big studio tentpole movie from a talented director with large resources who just can't help himself showing off every trick that he has up his sleeve. Now, I can't really much fault Reeves as he was going for something very ambitious for a character which has been rebooted several times over the past 30 years, and he mostly succeeds. I just would have preferred a tighter movie overall. The Batman is certainly a film worth revisiting, which I intend to do. And that brings us to the categories. Because we are now finishing the Living for the Batman series, we have a special category, the Best Bat Bit. This series has so many elements which carry over through various incarnations of the Cape Crusader. Theme music, Batmobile, villain, Alfred, Jim Gordon, and even visual gags involving the Bat symbol. And this award goes to the one that stands out the most for this particular entry in Batman film canon. I cannot understate how much this film is bolstered by the endearing presence of Jeffrey Wright as detective, not yet commissioner, detective Jim Gordon, who is on the case right alongside the Batman to take down the Riddler. Gordon is the one incorruptible cop in the entire department, meaning that he's the only person outside of Alfred who Batman can trust. But since Gordon is knowingly surrounded by several bent cops, strangely the feeling is mutual on his part. He wants the Cape Crusader there alongside him, examining each new crime scene, resulting in Gordon having to constantly negotiate the presence of this giant walking bat right there on every crime scene with his fellow officers. Their relationship is touching and often comic as Wright plays this iconic character with the appropriate mixture of doggedness, gravity, and exasperation. I just love what Wright does with this role, and he could very well be the best on-screen portrayal of Gordon narrowly ahead of Gary Oldman's portrayal from the Nolan trilogy. The next category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Of course, what would Batman be on screen without a memorable score? Now granted, following up on all-time scores from Danny Elfman or Hans Zimmer, surely a tough act to follow. But Michael Giacchino does not disappoint. The score is very much piano-based, and it's just gorgeous. Each of the main characters has their own theme, and the whole thing maintains a very film noirish vibe, which is very much in line with how this story is presented to us, including voiceover narration from the world's greatest detective himself. My personal favorite theme from Giacchino is the one he has crafted for Catwoman, which is more of a jazzy, lilting number, which matches up nicely as we follow Selena on her various exploits. And that brings us to the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. 
Okay, this is a tough one, as this film has several standout moments. But at the end of the day, I realized that two of my top choices were actually pretty much in sequence within the movie. And I don't think I'm actually spoiling anything, as clips of both of these moments have already been released online. So back to Gordon and the Batman. Probably the cleverest moment in the movie has Batman himself being questioned at a Gotham police station. And he's surrounded by various officers and detectives. He's obviously looking for a way to get out of this situation without being unmasked. So Gordon pulls him aside to a more open area, but in sight of all the other officers. And this is where he starts a little bit of a ruse. Gordon and Batman pretend like they're in an argument. And we see Gordon moving his head with attitude in Batman's face. It's definitely the funniest moment of the film, and it's purely character-based too. Gordon then whispers to Batman to punch him, which Batman then does. And then we see Batman running furiously through a hallway, being chased by officers, with his wings flapping furiously on his side. And then he shoots one of his grappling hooks up a nearby stairwell, repelling him upward past a growing horde of police that are chasing him upstairs. Pretty crazy scene. Who's the mustache with the broken nose? It's Kinsey, narcotics. He's one of the guys I got into it with at the Iceberg Lounge. Be saying Kinsey Moon Knights for the Penguin. All right, Moon Knights is a cop. Well, when Batman gets to the top of this stairwell, he opens a door outside, runs furiously out the door, and then, whoa, we actually see him startled that he's suddenly atop this ledge of the police building several stories high. He's actually scared for a few seconds, but that's okay because then we see him hit a few buttons on his suit and out comes the wingsuit. That's right. We then watch as the Batman nervously extends the wings and jumps forward into a city square to make his escape. This jump is actually shot from his point of view, too, as the camera actually follows him, drifting rapidly over a crowded city street, clearly with no clue as to where he's going to land. It's pretty obvious that he's never done this before. And I'll just leave it at that. Talk about a sequence which is both thrilling and funny. And also a reminder that as serious as the tone for this movie is, the director still knows how to have some fun. That brings me to the next category, which would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. From a cast and character standpoint, my biggest disappointment was probably Andy Serkis taking on the role of Alfred, though not because of his performance, as he's actually quite good. Now, he doesn't have the warmth of Michael Caine, nor the drollness of Jeremy Irons, but Serkis brings a nice kind of 100% British stiff upper lip authority to this character, which actually most reminded me of Sean Pertwee's underrated portrayal of Alfred on the Gotham TV show. It's the best part of that show. His scenes with Pattinson are well done. The problem being that there are just not enough of them. He's hardly in this movie, which is a choice that I just did not understand, especially with the almost three-hour runtime. This version of Bruce Wayne as played by Pattinson is most definitely an emo loner type, which is fine. It makes sense for a barely seasoned Batman slash Bruce Wayne early in his crime-fighting career. And even though he has great chemistry with some other key cast members, I just feel like his interpretation 
could have actually used more Alfred to play off of. I don't know, maybe there was some stuff left on the cutting room floor, who knows. But you could have easily sacrificed some long shots of vistas in this movie, or maybe some extended dialogue sequences talking about clues, and maybe give this film a bit more heart with more scenes between Bruce and Alfred. If I can't change things here, if I can't have an effect, I don't care what happens to me. That's all the right Alfred, stop. You're not my father. I'm well aware. And now we have the final category, which would be MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. I'm tempted to choose the director, Matt Reeves, for having a real vision and for almost pulling it off. But sorry, the movie is just too damn long. Three hours, it does not need to be three hours long. However, one aspect of this film which is unassailable is the cinematography. And let's not forget that movies are still a visual medium first and foremost. Compared to previous standalone Batman movies, the Batman, this movie, it just looks lusher, despite taking place within such a grim and gritty setting. There are no shortage of memorable cityscapes, especially Gotham's version of Times Square, which looks more crowded with digital displays seemingly on top of each other, but also kind of more charming with cobblestone streets rounding through it. Greg Frazier is coming off of his Oscar-nominated work with Dune last year. And check out that review, by the way. And seriously, at this point, there is no cinematographer out there who I would trust more to shoot large-scale action than him. And as you've heard me rave about the visuals in past reviews for both Batman, for Batman Begins and Batman Returns, I consider this to be pretty high praise, as Frazier might have just shot the best-looking Batman film to date. And for that reason, he is the MVP. My rating for The Batman would be four stars out of five. As to how this ranks among all live-action standalone Batman movies, for me at least, it's likely tied for third or fourth, probably between The Dark Knight Rises and The Dark Knight, both movies which kind of share some similar issues. The gold standard for me remains Batman Begins, with Batman Returns not that far behind. And check out both of those reviews. If you're looking to watch The Batman, it's currently playing in theaters. And might I suggest, if you can, see it in IMAX. And that ends another enigmatic review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. And follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.